Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I have Arakai Moon of Star Siren Astrology back on the show to share a story that happened earlier this year. We recorded this episode during the recent opposition of the Sun in Libra and retrograde Mars in Aries, which felt fitting due to the severance or separation that is told in this story. Mars representing that which cuts and separates. So you'll hear it. You'll hear Mars for sure as this story unfolds. This will be a two-part episode This part, part one, is the story, and in part two, we will discuss the story. This event occurred around last May. Arakai and I had a phone call on the Scorpio full moon of Taurus season, and this is when I first heard the story. We're now approaching the Taurus full moon of Scorpio season, which is so cool just to track the timing of how things how things constellate with astrology. And as you might know, Arakai was first on this podcast to discuss the Taurus-Scorpio axis, the tantric axis with me, and we recorded again to talk about self-pleasuring as a daily ritual. Arakai is one of my closest friends, and I love having her on the podcast. Um, I know that those of you who have listened to our episodes have enjoyed her perspectives, and she is a really talented astrologer. I mean, she is really a soul worker in addition to being an astrologer. She's also a body worker. And this story also contains themes of sexuality and power, like our previous episodes. And while we shared quite a few laughs on this episode, because there there is a divine comedy at play here, and Arakai is a great storyteller. However, this story is quite foreboding. And worth a trigger warning before we get into it that there are themes of sexual harassment in this episode. There are also some moments where we were interrupted in recording due to the internet connection getting lost, and I edited this as best as I could, but there are moments where you may notice that some splicing took place. This conversation that Arakai and I had about this story was as profound six months ago as it was just when we recorded it um, again for this episode. The first time we talked about this story, it was like an alchemical conversation. As we were saying goodbye on video chat, I saw these two hovering lights on both sides of the screen. So these are the lights that I see, and they usually just kind of um, pop into my field of vision and they, they spark. But when they stay there and hover for an extended period of time, I really take note. And when lights hover like that, like two next to each other, it's usually when I'm interacting with a person and the conversation was particularly transformative and deep. And that night, I remember falling asleep, feeling so grateful um, that Arakai was okay, as you will find out in the story. Um, so grateful for our friendship and so grateful for the curiosity that we both share about astrology and the depths of experience. And really quite, I was feeling something numinous 
um, about the ways that our most intense life experiences can be windows to the soul. And without getting into the story itself, I'll leave that to Arakai. Here's our conversation. I'm back with Arakai Moon. So excited to have you on the show again. And for people who don't know you, um, we've had you on to talk about the Taurus Scorpio axis. It was a really epic episode. Um, So for anyone who's new, can you just introduce yourself um, real quick? Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me back. It is my absolute pleasure to commune with you in any way that I can. So I, I love it. And I love your, your audience as well. Um, they've been really fun to interact with. So, um, yeah, for, for all those that are meeting me now or, or that have met me then, <laughs> my name is Arakai Moon and I am an astrologer. So I have a YouTube channel and an Instagram. Uh, I go under star siren astrology and yeah predominantly i work with people um through the lens of astrology of course and weaving through psychology attachment style seduction and power um you know social dynamics and interactions um i've delved deeply um into the planets and the plants i lived in the jungle um of costa rica and mexico for the last 10 years and um and have been doing martial arts since I was about seven and also have been psychic since I was a a baby. So I've just, that, that adds to like my filter and the way that I kind of see and process the world. And so a lot of the things that I like to bring is just like, how can we integrate this, um, very archetypal elemental psychedelic realm that is our universes and everyone else's universes and how they collide. And so, yeah, you are, such a badass is <laughs> Aries woman. Um, you just do all these incredible things, um, that I feel like a lot of people would be scared to do. And you're just like, mm. it's a casual day for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As, as we will get into in the, in the episode, I tend to, I tend to draw in very, very deep and intense, um, alchemical experiences. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm really blessed to be living in the jungle and, and surfing and being with sharks and, and I've spent my whole life with snakes and, and so, um, yeah, I feel like I've, I've had a pretty wild. (laughs) We can't just drop that and not explore it. Let's talk (laughs) about the sharks for a minute. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, well, what about the sharks? Just, yeah, my experiences with them or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well right now, um, I've, so I've been surfing for around, you know, maybe like three and a half years, which is pretty new. Like it takes a very long time to get really good at surfing. Um, I've been really devoted to it though for this whole three and a half years. So I'm, I'm pretty into it. Um, but since the beginning, I think it was like within, a few months of surfing, I saw my first shark and, and it was like several feet away from me and it was hunting next to me. So I saw its fin kind of come up and then it did this S curve and then went back down into the water and literally was a foot away from me and my board when it like disappeared. And so all of my limbs, you know, kind of like went onto the board and I was like, Oh my God, you know? Um, and I was like, what's the protocol? <laughs> I was like hundreds of feet away from anyone. Cause I had just caught a 
a wave. And so everyone else is like, you know, several hundred feet away. And, uh, I paddled, you know, calmly. And then every time I put my hand in, I'm just like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. But, um, you know, I, I, anyways, long story short, this, the same shark ended up visiting me the very next day came into the actual wave that I was surfing and I surfed next to it. And then again, it's, um, I had more sharks come to me. And then I started to realize that without seeing them physically, I would start seeing them, you know, in my psychic vision and I would see them. And then I would end up seeing them physically. And I would end up telling everyone, like, I know there's a shark in the water. I can really feel it. I can see it. I could really get, you know, I'm, I'm used to, I've, I've been working with snakes since literally since I was born, um, rehabilitating them and, and working with very, um, you know, abused and aggressive snakes and, and whatnot. But so I'm, a, I'm really familiar with that, like predatory strike, you know, that, that really interesting energy. And I do think that sharks are like the serpents of the sea and they're like the guardians. And I think, um, it's fascinating that they've come to me, Um, but anyway, so I started to see them in my vision and then it started to be confirmed that, that they were there because then other people would see it or I would see it. And so I was like, okay, at least I know when, but still it was more of like a warning. I wasn't like, Ooh, I'm going to stay in here. You know, it was like, Ooh, there's a shark and I'm, I should probably get out now. And, um, and then I I ended up warning people and they, they kind of didn't listen to me. And then a, a, a person almost got like the lower half of their body eaten the very next day. And that was like the first time that everyone kind of like for miles, they got happened or it did. No, it didn't happen. Like I warned everyone that there was a shark in the water and nobody would listen to me. And then the very next day, a man had like the lower part of his body eaten. And so he was like life flighted out. And, um, and then everyone that he was like, the shark was trolling that whole beach for, um, the, like three or four of this, the main surf points. So it was trolling several miles of, of beach, um, over the course of that week. And everyone got out of the water, which was very profound because surfers are like some of the most, um, in denial about sharks people I've ever met. <laughs> Um, which is hilarious. So I thought that they would be like really down and really into like learning about them or, or feeling them, but they're actually the opposite. They like for the, not all of them, of course, but for the most part, they, they really don't want to know. Um, but anyway, so long story short, I gotten really, really good at, at feeling and seeing them and, and them communicating with me. But here recently I, I started surfing in a place, um, which is actually right where that man was, um, attacked or, or, you know, um, bitten. And, and I ended up having this conversation with this shark and, and I've had several over just these last, this last month that I've been here, I've, I've had really, really strong encounters with, with sharks, um, that are, that feel that are really large. And, um, and this time it seems like they're, they're actually like telling me to stay in the water with them and until I started bleeding. And then I, I got the intuition that I wasn't meant to stay in there, but, um, I, I actually didn't go in the water while I was bleeding at all, um, over this last week. But, um, but anyways, I I've had these really profound experiences with these sharks recently. And it just feeling like they were like, except the darkest, like the most intense version of the dark feminine. And can you like feel the small, like fragile state of your being and then open to it anyways. And, and it's been really profound. I was like staying there past the dark, like when it was like pitch black 
and it's the full moon. And I was just like out there with the shark, you know, and just laying my whole body in the water. And instead of like contracting, like I would always do and like get on my board. And like, if I catch a wave, then I would fall in and then just like get on my board as fast as possible and like be so contracted. But instead I would just be like laying out next to my board and sinking deep into the water and, and communicating with it and, and then opening up my body as, as yeah, wide as possible and, and just open. And that felt so profound. Yeah. Just to have that image of the dark feminine. Cause I was actually, sharks are the one creatures that I was actually scared of. I'm not, I'm literally not scared of anything. I'll sleep with bats and scorpions and snakes and all things. And sharks were the one thing that I was like, Ooh, it, was, it really freaked me out. And I didn't want to be eaten by one either. And lately I'm just like, I don't want to be eaten, but I really, I'm really in love with them in this way. And I feel almost like protected by them somehow. Um, and that's not to say that every shark is like that. I do get these intuitions that, um, certain sharks are like, no, no, no it's time to get out. Um, so I don't think like every single one is like, put your body in there and like open it up. <laughs> but I think it's been pretty profound to, to be able to like, just to really, yeah, accept that, that dark guardian, wrathful and like powerful part of the, the feminine earth that I really feel inside of them. Yeah. It's cool. That's yeah. all. It's incredible. Um, and that's what I was talking about. If like, you are <laughs> like not many people, <laughs> <laughs> my God, like you have a lot of courage, um, in a lot of ways and the ways that I know you, um, mm. yeah. So we have a story, um, to share today and we're going to get into kind of what it means afterwards. Um, but it's, it's a story that deserves presence with just the storytelling element of it. Um, it's pretty profound. So, um, I'll turn it over to you to kind of set us up. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, it is. It is one of my, I'm a storyteller and I, I love to tell stories, but this is definitely one of the most embarrassing, intense, liberating, hilarious, traumatizing, and, um, yeah, mythical. Um, but, but very comedic. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those stories that, um, so it's okay for yeah. us to laugh during this. <laughs> it's definitely okay to laugh. It's also okay to just be like, what? Like, it, it, like if, if I'm laughing in awkward places where it should be like really traumatizing and heartbreaking, it's not that I'm, that I haven't felt the heartbreak and the trauma of it. And in fact, I've gone really deep into it, but, but I do think that comedic <laughs> horror, <laughs> um, yeah, I do think the comedic element is, is really a, a part of it that, um, I think it's just really valuable somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that being said, that's, that's the best disclaimer that I have for you guys. Um, the rest of it is, this is a story that takes place, um, this year. So I, um, broke up with my partner of five years, um, and moved from Australia on the last flight out when COVID hit. And I went to my best friend's place, one of my best friend's, um, homes in Kauai her and her husband were going to go to Japan and she is a friend of mine. We have been friends for 
over seven years, seven or eight years now and, and deep, deep, deep jungle sister. And she was just like, come and be on my land and, and like heal, you know, essentially. So, um, that was a beautiful invitation. I took it. I landed there immediately. The Island started healing me. However, there was a little bit of trouble in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like literally in the garden of Eden, you know, the pandemic is happening, but I'm like, yeah, like we've lived in the jungle, you know, like it ain't no thing. Like surfing still happen the jungle. Like I don't go to the store very often. So to me, like we were, we were pretty epically blessed, um, considering where the rest of the world was. Um, I was profoundly heartbroken and, and healing, but I was healing rapidly. Um, anyways, things got a bit weird and the weirdness started with, um, yeah, basically her husband, um, started being very inappropriate with me and I think kind of getting obsessed. And when I say kind of, I'm just trying to like make it light, but it was pretty like to the obsession point, especially around my sexuality. So I'm a lesbian. And I think that just somehow really uh, triggered a lot. Um, and so there was this kind of swinging back and forth of, of obsession and like wanting all my attention, wanting all my energy, and then kind of being inappropriate, me trying to set boundaries, but having a little bit of a hard time. The, the Island was completely locked down. There was nowhere else to go, at least that I could think of. Um, they weren't letting anyone rent anything that didn't have a, you know, a Hawaiian license or anything like that. They weren't letting you drive to anywhere or go to the beach or anything without, um, you know, you could surf and that was just about, that was it. So, so anyways, I felt like, okay, I'm just going to make this work. I don't want to make my friend, you know, jealous or so I'm just trying to navigate everything as best as possible. I was like, I can handle this, you know, um, I'm very used to, I, I've, you know, I've, I've worked in very extreme situations. I was a strip club bartender and, and, you know, I, I, I work with, yeah, I work with seduction and power. So like there, I was like, I can handle this, you know? And, um, and yeah, I, I, I had like not anticipated quite what the, um, intensity around maybe quarantine, but also just like some of the planetary transits, we might speak about that later. But anyways, um, never underestimate what people are capable of when power and safety and the egoic threads of foundations are woven into a certain uh, narrative and that gets shaken. So I, I tended to, I think that I was the character that was shaking some of those things up. So um, so anyways, back and forth of obsession to repulsion. So he would get obsessed and kind of hit on me and Ashley, who was coming to me a lot, like every single night coming to me, trying to have sex with me. I was like energetically needing to set very strong boundaries. Um, I was needing to verbally, physically set boundaries, but because he would start to grab me in different ways when she wasn't 
looking, you know, when I was like washing dishes or something and all done in this way of like, Oh, this is, this is me trying to massage you, or this is me trying to hug you in the morning. But, but also like grabbing my womb and pressing the his body against me, you know, coming up as a man, like up uh, in back of me, um, just things that felt very uncomfortable. And then he started to get to the point where it was like sexual innuendos that were extremely inappropriate and very off-putting. So then he would start to repulse and start to degrade and, and almost like verbally and mentally and emotionally be abusive, you know, kind of doing this narcissistic so yeah, the, the swing from obsession to repulsion and then this kind of narcissistic swing to where he would be really wanting all of my attention and then he would separate and, and then he would, then he would try very desperately to, to get my friend to, um, yeah, be opposed to me, to separate us. He at one point thought that I was in love with her and I explained to him that I wasn't and, Anyways, it went kind of back and forth like this. And I tried to talk to her and I tried to talk to him in this way, you know, uh, being very, you know, like, Hey, can we speak about what's happening? And is there anything I can do? Like, can I help? And can we talk about our feelings or can I help around the house to be more of a service or, you know, just kind of trying to find the best way to navigate this experience. Um, and meanwhile, not really feeling comfortable to like straight up, tell my friend exactly what's going on because of the, the way in which I was like trying not to make her jealous or trying not to, I like wanted so much to support her world, you know, her life that she had created. This was the first time that I had met her, her, her partner and, and seen their new, you know, their new home and their new land since she had moved there. Um, so anyways, so this is really complex. You're not, you're in a position of a lot of mixed interests and Right. Yeah. And, and it's just that repulsion obsession thing that I was finding really, really hard to, to navigate. Um, and so as, as it progressed, I was actually preparing to leave and, and hoping that, you know, everything could just like be civil until I left kind of thing. And I ended up really needing to set a little bit more firm of the boundary. So I, I, I ended up telling him that, you know, you know, that I'm psychic and I, I can see when people are coming to me, trying to have sex with me psychically or astrally. And, um, it's really important that we all just have like energetic boundaries, you know, and I didn't say it directly to him, but I was saying it because I felt like he would know what he was doing. He did know what he was doing. And so I felt like, that would be a way that I could say something with him to maybe just start to draw his energy in is what was, what was my plan. But I think in that, anyways, in that moment, he, um, he didn't say much, but then he ended up freaking out on me about something and, and starting to yell at me. And then I ended up going and getting right. So he, he's yelling at me and, and I went, I, I asked, you know, Oh my God, is there something that I'm doing? Is she waiting for me? Like I'm, I'm almost done. I can, I can hurry up, you know, kind of thing. What and then he kept berating me and just, 
Oh, he was just, he was saying, you're so selfish. You're playing games. You're trying to make her late. Like they're waiting on you to go to the waterfall right now. And why are you like making food? And I was like, oh, because I'm allergic to everything, you know, like to wheat. And so I can't, I, I was just making my, my lunch real quick. And we've been talking all morning. So I was like, I'm, it's, I'm literally like one minute, you know, away. And he's not even going, it's just me and, and my friend and her mom. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Are they waiting? I'll hurry. I'm, I'm only, you know, give me 60 seconds kind of thing. And then he just kept yelling. And then I was like, Whoa. And that's when I stopped. And I was like, Hey, like I'm down to like, if you want to talk to me and, and work things out in a collaborative way, but this right here, this shaming and this berating, like I'm done. And I pretty much just said it because it had been going on for a while at this point. So I was like, I'm done. Don't ever like shame me or, or degrade me in this way. If you want to collaborate, I'm super down. But if not, like end of story, don't even talk to me ever again. I said, actually, in fact, let's, let's go get my friend. And so I, I went outside and I was like, Hey, can you guys come over here? Um, I really need to ask you a question. And I called him over there and I was like, Hey, are you guys waiting on me? Is there a problem? Because I'm getting yelled at, you know, and I kind of brought her for the first time into it to show her like, this is what's happening. You know, this is not okay. And if you have a, a problem, I would love for you to tell me, I never want to make you wait, you know, like you're like my favorite, one of my favorite people in the world. Like, you know, I'm not trying to play games with you. And she, and she was just like, both of them were like, Oh my God, no, we're out in the garden. We're talking like, do your thing. And like, she completely took up for me. She kind of, you know, talked to him about, you know, how inappropriate it was and everything. Um, and then we all got, you know, her, her mom and, and, and me got in the car and we went to have a beautiful day at the waterfall. And yeah, she didn't, she said sorry and everything for his behavior. And then she started to kind of, um, psychologically analyze like why he was behaving this way and, and, you know, the insecurity or the like authority and the, you know, all these different things about like basically like male authority and power and, and privilege and insecurity. And, and, and nobody asked me at all how I felt, how insecure or how like vulnerable or, or like how my emotions, how safe did I feel being in the side of the situation? And so in that moment, I was just like, basically, okay, I'm not necessarily being protected or, or, um, you know, allied for in this situation, but, um, that's like noted and I can make appropriate boundaries as a result. Um, but definitely like my heart felt like a little bit close to that and, and that I didn't feel that friendship that I would have imagined, you know, like I would think that if I was in that situation, I would have been so much more protective of my friend and wondering how she's doing emotionally. But, um, but I realized in that moment that that was like, not, yeah, like not where, not where they were at. And so, um, I still wasn't quite prepared for, for what happened, but we ended up having a really beautiful time and, uh, came back and I spent the night by myself. They went up in their, you know, up to their bedroom and they had their own night. And the next morning I'm really unaware of what happened, like what was said or what changed or shifted. But my friend ended up completely freaking out on me. Um, yelling at me hysterically, screaming 
kind of foaming at the mouth. Like her eyes were like looking to the side and she was just yelling at me to get out of her house. And she was like, you have to get out now or I'll drag you out. And just like, I mean, it was very violent. And her and I had never, you know, in the eight or more years of knowing each other, never even had like a single fight or argument or been rude to each other in any way. Like we've just been so fucking allies, you know, and, and so loving to each other. So this was just a really shocking experience, but I was like, okay, like you want me out. I would love for you to talk to me. Like, do you want to talk to me about this? You know, she was just like, no, you're unapologetic. And she just kept screaming unapologetic. And the only thing that I could gather other than like what he, she said, she kept screaming. I finally he, I finally see what he's been saying. I finally see what he's been telling me all along and I've gone crazy and I can't get you out of my mind. And she was just like screaming about what he's been saying to her and that, and that she finally sees it, you know? And, um, and, but she wouldn't tell me what it was except for that I was unapologetic and that something I posted as a video on Instagram about coming to nature, being unapologetic and wild and untamable and having like a connection in nature and the divine and like not needing to go through anyone else, like not needing to go through a religion or a culture or a, another person, but just having that connection with, with nature and the divine. Um, so anyway, somehow that video must have triggered, um, that and whatever, whatever he, he has said, I'm not sure. Um, but that happened. So she kicked me out. I, luckily got, um, I had somebody that had met surfing. I messaged them on Facebook. I found like a room for rent and on Facebook and, and it took him two hours to come get me. I cleaned up the whole house and scrubbed it and, and packed everything away and like washed all the sheets. And she was steadily like screaming at me and I was you know, I finally made my boundary with her. I was like, okay, I hear you. And, you know, and you cannot scream at me anymore. I'm, I'm waiting outside with all of my bags packed. And, um, and the person is actually like driving. So she was like, it's 12 o'clock. And, you know, it was like 1202 or something. And the person was driving up in the driveway and she like ran over there starting to scream again. And again, it's just very bizarre behavior. Um, extreme yeah it it was extremely violent and but also very disempowered in a sense almost like like clamoring for power or something just like trying to like do something to feel i don't know like i, I mean maybe just like have our boundaries met you know like maybe just get me out <laughs> but um it was just it was just really shocking to have it happened in that way. But, um, so anyways, uh, this, this guy pulls up and we load all the stuff up and I, and I head over and I end up finding this amazing home. Um, they had just opened it up to where like literally the day before, I think that, that you could actually rent places again. And I ended up finding this home with like eight women by the beach and it's, they were like harpists and all beautiful, just beautiful women. So I found this lovely spot, but I pulled up with all of my stuff and I go in there and I'm like, hi, can I rent your place? Um, 
today, like now. <laughs> and I'm trying to like play it really cool. Like I don't want to just bring like all of this drama into their really beautiful like, Shanti place. <laughs> but um, she's like, yeah, well, what about like tomorrow? Because <laughs> she's like, that's really soon. And I was like, yeah, what about like right now? <laughs> I was like, mm, I, I just, I had a, an, an interesting situation and, and things got a little sexual and, and very inappropriate. And I don't want to say any more other than this. It's just not exactly safe to go back to where it was. And they're like, okay, uh, sure. Move in today. <laughs> so it's like, great. So I moved in and I'm over, I'm, I'm later, you know, after a few hours of getting everything unpacked and I'm, I'm just kind of traumatized as it is just, just having my friend yell at me to that degree and like kick me out of her house in that way. Felt like extremely shocking and, and, and just, you know, heartbreaking. Um, and, but just, yeah, shocking to my system. Um, and I was still just baffled at the way that it all happened just because it seemed so like she was one of the last people that I would have ever imagined to treat me like that. Um, so anyways, I'm talking to my ex actually, and I was telling her what happened and she was, I was like, you would not believe what and who, you know, like what just happened? And, and I'm telling her the story and she's like, Whoa, this is, crazy. And then I stopped in mid sentence and I was like, Oh my God. And she's like, what? And I was like, I left something. And she's like, whatever it is, leave it. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like I left something <laughs> like, too important to ever leave. And she's like, Oh no. And I was like, I left the totem. And, uh, that's my code word for, um, dildo, which is literally one of it is it is pretty much at this point my most sacred um possession <laughs> i will say um i and i i have this dildo that's a it's a made from this amazing play that was like nobody else has it i don't know how i found it but i'm i'm designing actually them and i was doing product research so i was like i'm gonna find the best one out there because i'm i'm i wanted to be able to design it um for lesbians and Anyways, I ended up getting one and it's just like $700. You have to wait like four months for it. it they hand paint it to match your skin. Like it's, it's the most, it's like three layers. You can like move the shaft. It's just like the most epically real. It has become a part of me to the point where uh, it's literally changed my gender and sexuality. Like it's transformed me. It's changed my whole life in the last year that I've had it. So, so this is like, I'm, I'm freshly out of a relationship and I'm like, Oh fuck no. Like I'm definitely not leaving uh, my favorite thing in the whole world. And I had been sleeping with it. I had been really doing a lot to actually, because there was a lot of, um, I don't know. I would feel like sexual trauma and like shame inside of the, the last relationship that I had. And so I was spending a lot of time just really healing my own sexuality again, um, with it. And I feel like this is, it was such a big part of, um, really feeling and, and embodying my, my masculine and, and being able to, um, yeah, just transform my, my tantric practice, um, beyond what I could have ever imagined really. So, so anyways, I, I didn't even have any hesitation. I was like, Oh, I'm sure for sure not leaving it. So I hung up the phone instantly based, and I didn't have a car. 
So I ran down the street and I'm like running and I have like my dress and I have a purse and that's it. I didn't even think about like where I'm going to put it, <laughs> but I'm just running down the street. and like, oh, shit, like how am I going to hitchhike in a pandemic? You know, like who's going to make up some like, <laughs> I don't know, some hitchhiker in the middle of Kauai, you know? Um, so I like ran down there and I like whip out $40. <laughs> somebody's going to see money and, and maybe that will, you know, um, inspire them. So I'm waving $40 in the air and I'm holding my thumb out and I'm just praying, like, please like pick me up. And like, nobody, like, please have not found my tilto, you know? Um, and so this one, like, finally, you know, everyone passes, passes, passes. And finally a girl slams on her brakes and she's like, all right, cool. Like $40, I'll pick you up. And so she picks me up and I get it. I'm like, thank you so much. I was like, seriously, this is a heaven sent. I, I need to get somewhere real fast. And she's like, why? And I was like, do you really want to know? It's kind of like a weird story. <laughs> so I just decided to like bring her in on my lesbian <laughs> um, extravaganza. <laughs> So she's like, holy shit, I pick up this woman hitchhiking, waving me $40. And she's going to pick up her her, like massive dildo strap on. Um, Because what happened is I I was trying to clean so fast that I grabbed all of my sheets and just put them in the washing machine. So I ended up washing it in the washing machine. So my hope was, is that the washing machine is outside of their house. Maybe they left somewhere or maybe they've been working out in the yard the whole day and they didn't check the washer or like they haven't found it, you know? And the whole time I'm going there, I'm just like, please don't find it. Please haven't found it yet. And the worst case scenario in my brain was worst case scenario. It's going to be a very awkward fucking conversation and they're going to like have found it, which is shocking, you know? Cause it's like, if you guys just know what it looks like, I just, the thing can actually be used in like pornography because it looks and feels so real. So it's just like, and it's a very large <laughs> beautiful <laughs> thing. <And so laughs> like I, okay. And, and also the thing is, is like when we got it, it was so big that I was like, Oh shit. Like cause she was like, I think you got too big, you know, like the like you should have gotten smaller one. I was like, no, no, no. There's no way I'm paying $700 for something and getting like the six inch thing. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, eight inches is totally average. <laughs> so that's what I got. And we got it. And I was like, that shit is not, <laughs> I was like, not anyways, that, it's, it's, it's a very beautifully large and and thick and just, it's a full on powerful <laughs> dragon dildo. So, um, uh, anyway, so, so it's already just like this, like kind of like <laughs> beautifully large thing that, that we've gotten used to. And, and I'm really super happy about it, but, um, but just to imagine people seeing it and finding it, like not expecting it, it's kind of a hilarious, you know, thought, <laughs> especially people that have just like yelled hysterically at you about being unapologetic and <laughs> to get like the fuck out of their house. <laughs> Who's whose husband has been like obsessing over me for like the whole month of quarantine, <laughs> like obsessing about my sexuality, like constantly asking, like, has she ever had sex with men? Like when have you had sex with men? I know you like penis, you know, just like constantly talking to me about my sexuality. So, so anyways, um, I'm, I'm going through all of this in my mind while I like laugh about it with this woman who's such a rad, um, character in my life now. Um, she came at such a perfect moment in my storybook. 
but anyway, so, so we drive there and she's like, all right, like you're just going to run up. And, and I, I was going to pay her more money just to drive me like gracefully back. Cause I was like, you know, I've had enough drama for the day. Like I just need to get a ride back and have my little, like, you know, my dildo and like, feel like I'm like in my little you know temple and that I'm still loved. <laughs> and so I, I <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so I pull up and I'm like, please don't be there. Please don't be there. And I get out of the car and they are there <laughs> and they meet me at the driveway and I'm like, Hey, and they're like immediately start yelling at me. And I was like, well, this is so intense. <laughs> like, I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, a little bit of like a, I don't know, like an Eminem, like, I don't know, some sort of like dramatic event, you know, like people are like yelling at you at the driveway to get away. It's like not the way I roll normally. So, um, so anyways, I, w- I was like, Hey, 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 like, I know, I know you don't want me here <laughs> still un like clear of why, uh, exactly. But, um, but I, I, I left something. I was like, I know I have my hand on my heart and I'm just kind of like smiling. I'm like, Hey, Hey, I left something. I'm so sorry. I'm here. I'm just going to grab it and I'll go. And still I'm kind of thinking like that there's some sense in their brain, like that, that things would just be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I go grab this thing and get the fuck out or something, you know? And, and there is none of that. There was just like complete rage, like yelling and just, Yeah completely just get off of our land. We're going to call the cops on you. Just like freaking out. Then, then my friend comes up and she's even yelling even more, you know, insane. I'm um, just like foaming bright red body, just like everything vibrating, just like spitting. And, and just, it's, it's like a in crazy, I've never seen such. It was complete like possession is what it looked like. It was a very, yeah. In, intense, greeting. And so I'm, I'm trying to explain to her and I'm, I'm steadily holding my hand. Cause I, I keep feeling like if I ground myself and I'm holding my hand on my heart, I'm staring into their eyes and I'm like speaking to her, like, you know, me like, Hey, it's me, you know, me, uh, that, that like, there will be something that comes back like that. that she'll come back to herself, you know, she'll come back to her heart or something, but that's not happening. And, and so she's just like, I, threw it away. You're disgusting. I found it. You're like disgusting. There's shit all over it. And she was just like, just completely saying that it was, I was the most disgusting person she's ever met and seen. And that my thing was gross. And I can't believe that you have that. And you're just despicable. And she's just going on, like, just like shaming, like vile bomb, like vomiting all over this, like sacred part of me. I was just like, Oh my God. And the fact is, is like, I had told her about how much I love this thing and how much it had changed my life. And like my whole sexuality, like I like, don't, talk about this thing lightly. Like this thing was just such a, a, a precious part of me. So I thought it was just so shocking extra that she was like going to that degree for one that you would just like shame anything that anyone owned, like in the way that she was doing, but, but especially that. And so I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Um, and, and backstory, I was raised extreme Christian. So like I grew up with the most in the most homophobic, um, environment ever pretty much of just like that's next to child molestation AIDS. You're just like, it's, you're basically a child molester and you're going to health for sure. And, and you can't be around my, I can't be around my niece without, you know, basic supervision because they think I'm going to turn her into a lesbian witch. So, so it's like, there's, there's already already been like a tremendous amount of um, shame around my sexuality for, for my life. And so this was just like, Oh wow, this is happening 
on another level now. Um, so I, I, uh, was keeping it calm and, and again, like really hand on my heart and calm, but very also firm. Like at this point I was just like, Oh, like, I'm actually not going to leave. The best way to deal with this is to, um, you know, give me it. And then I will leave. You can even hand me the trash bag and I'll walk down the street with a trash bag. Like that's okay. Just like, whatever it is, I'm actually not leaving. You know how much I love it. It's mine. I don't know why, you know, if you don't want to speak to me ever again, that's fine. I'll leave. I'll never come back. And the best way to do that is to just give me my thing and I'll go, but I'm definitely not leaving without it. I kind of, I just had that boundary of like, actually they're not taking the power. They're not shaming me to that degree to where I like leave with like shamed, ostracized, traumatized, and no totem. (laughs) Freshly single. I am not waiting and spending $700 more and waiting six more months. Like, and especially in the pandemic, who knows when that thing is going to be remade. Like I am, I'm not like doing that right now. Um, I'm ready to like, go, go practice my, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go experience this with other people. And it's definitely, it's definitely not going to end up in the trash right now. So, so I kind of held it there and they're like, well, we're calling cops. And so they called the, I was like, okay, you should do that. Actually, this, that might be better. And so I, I encouraged them. Yes, you should call the cops. I'll wait at the end of your driveway. And that really upset them because I, they know how terrified of cops I am. And I, re- I really have like some, some issues around, um, of a, uh, cops. And <laughs> so I, they thought if they mentioned cops that I would just be like done and gone. And so I think that when I, I stayed calm and was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to stay at the end of your driveway, do that. I'll talk to them and we'll navigate it there. And then, um, their neighbors and basically we we're on Hawaiian homestead land and their, their neighbors, which is also their family. Um, because like the fam, the natives, they all like the, all their families like own these, um, yeah, these different lot, like plots of land. And so they came out to kind of navigate it. I'm just like, whoa, this is like a full on, a full on like telenovela Hawaiian and, and, uh, American style. So um, so th- they came out and, and they're trying to talk me and they're like, you don't understand you're white. You have no rights on this land. It's Hawaiian homestead land. You'll be arrested. Like, it doesn't matter. You'll just be arrested. I was like, that's okay. I understand. I'm going to wait for it because it's my thing. And I'm, I can't leave without it. I, w- I won't leave. And I'll, I'll just like navigate the cops. Like, well, I'll take my chances. And I was like, I understand. I really respect your land. And I was like, and the best way to get rid of me is just to like communicate to them that they should give me my thing back. <laughs> and, um, and so she was, you know, calmly, she's like this beautiful nurse and just super sweet. And I was like, look, like I'm, you know, I don't know what's actually happening here. I was like, this is my, my best friend. And, uh, and this is, this is pretty sad and scary. I was like, but I haven't done anything. So I'm, I'm really not going to go. And I was like, so I'm just going to sit here and, and wait for the cops. And, and I thank you so much for trying to warn me, but I would really suggest that you go talk to them and, and maybe talk to them into a more, yeah, like efficient and mature solution. And so she went over and talked to them and, and they just like ended up pretty much just like laughing, talking bad about me, venting, I don't know, just going on about me for whatever reason, I'm still kind of unclear. Um, for the whole time. And, and the, meanwhile, the girl, like, uh, 
she was like, uh, okay, I got, I gotta go. This <laughs> is getting crazy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. So the girl, um, you? yeah, she drove me and you know, this all happened fairly fast, but also, you know, kind of not like they're, they're pretty going on, but, um, I, so they started coming back out and yelling. I think that they didn't want me to wait for the cops. So they started coming back out and yelling in this hole. And so this time my friend grabbed like a metal thing and was waving it at me and, and came running at my face and threatening to hit me with my, in my face with some metal thing. I don't really know what it was. And again, I was just trying to talk friend you had to her calm, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, Oh my God. I was like, please don't hit me in the face. I was like, look, I'm standing at your driveway. Like just give me my thing. If not, I'm waiting for the cops. It's okay. But you know, I put my hand out. I was like, like, you can't hit me, you know? And basically she kept screaming for me to leave and that she was going to call the cops. And I looked at her and I was like, I will not leave ever until I have my thing. Okay. And then she went and grabbed a gun and ran out, cocked it and like put it in my face. (laughs) Stood there with a gun in my face. And I was like, I am not leaving without my thing. And at that moment, I actually felt too like, bullets enter my kind of like my right side of my body. And in that moment I was like, Oh shit, she's like really capable of like shooting me right now. And then I felt like I had all these guides present in this split moment. And I felt like all of the energy and all of the words, like I could see all of like the energetic channels that were like being fed from her mouth and her words, like into my body. And, and it was just really kind of a profound experience of feeling completely protected, completely surrounded. And then also simultaneously seeing this kind of mythos or this like past life, if you will, like I could see the, um, yeah, just the layers of our experience in this split moment, you know, the, the part of her that she was trying to kill by killing it inside of me, the part of him that was so angry and, and lashing out at me, the part of me that was like standing almost like the witch in the fire that was like, you cannot fucking burn me again. Like I will not be shamed and you will not take the power like this. Like you can burn me and I will always come back kind of thing. It felt like this, like the, just the, the power of the dark feminine that's been, you know, demonized. It just felt so crazy. But then she kept running at me, pointing the gun. And in that moment, then her, uh, her partner grabbed the gun from her and, and stopped her from it. Um, thankfully, and, um, draw, you know, kind of like brought her back to, uh, the, the house and, and that's where kind of like they stayed. Um, and then I ended up just sitting and meditating at the end of their driveway. And the other, the girl, I was like, yeah, you, you go, (laughs) you, you go. (laughs) Um, so I was just at the end of the driveway meditating and, and just trying to balance my nervous system and, and also like unravel like the, the, the spells kind of of shame and, and stuff. And I really felt like my guys were really there, like holding me and protecting me. And I'm sure of course, like shock and adrenaline and all of that is, is present, but I really felt so yeah, divinely held. Um, and then the cops pulled up. 
and they drove up and they're like, are Kai Moon? And I'm like, uh-huh. And they're like, are you the crazy person that we're supposed to arrest? <laughs> and I was like, yep. Um, do I look crazy? And they're like, nope. And I was like, yeah, thank you. I am not. And this is a crazy situation and also very heartbreaking and traumatizing. I was like, my friend's husband has been extremely sexually inappropriate with me. My friend is now freaking out. I'm actually not sure of what happened. I've been living with them for the last month during this quarantine and they have something that's very, very special to me. They won't give it back and they've thrown it in the trash. And I just really want help to get my thing back so I can go. And they're like, okay, like what kind of thing do you got? Like, and I was like, you know, like, and I'm like doing this thing with my hands, like, you know, like trying to do this like six, 12 inches, like, thing. and I'm like, you know, just like a, a special thing. And they're like, like a meth thing. And I'm like, no, um, like a sexual thing. And he's like, Oh, and I was like, hold on right there. <laughs> Cause all I'm thinking is like, Oh, all I need now is like male cops to like shame me or degrade me even more now and humiliate me right now. I was like, okay, I was like, hold on. And on that note, can you please just recognize that this is a very vulnerable situation? And, um, yeah, it's embarrassing, kind of vulnerable and, and also heartbreaking given the situation of, of my friend pulling a gun on me. And he's like, yeah, I got it. He's like, so let me get this straight. All you want is your thing back. And you're willing to just take the trash bag and like go. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. I'm just willing to take the trash. <laughs> and he's like, okay. He's like, I'm so sorry about this. He's like, let me go get your thing back. <laughs> so he walks over there. And meanwhile, these, these, um, police officers. They are beautiful. They're super like Hawaiian native yet like young and just so sweet. And I was so, so happy to be like blessed by having sweet police officers that were young and respectful and just, yeah, didn't, didn't minimize or degrade me further in the situation. So I was like, I just like held it there. And I'm meanwhile, I'm just like steadily, I'm just, doing Reiki and like freaking, you know, praying, um, hold, holding it together in this like really high, uh, electricity <laughs> that's going on in my body. And so anyways, he walks over there and he has a conversation and he's like, yeah, so basically need to give her her thing back. And they all, you know, stand there. It's like a group of like six people over there at this point, just like all adults over here in the small freaking town of Kauai <laughs> and uh, on this farm homestead land. And they open up their, their big dumpster and they reach in there and they grab out my wetsuit that they had wrapped around my very large <laughs> Dildo that they're now that he is now cradling in his arms, and I'm just like hand on he's my mouth cradling like, it. Yeah, he's like crazy because it's he's so big. It's like a baby, you know. He's like holding it like a baby, and I was just like, oh my god, this is hilarious. And so I'm holding my hand on my mouth, just like wow. Like I almost wish that there were just news cameras like recording all this because who else would have this embarrassing? <laughs> equally traumatizing experience right now. So 
he's cradling it. And, and this is probably one of the most disgusting parts of the story, but in a way I was so happy that he did this because it was almost that he let his inner world just completely get like shown to everyone. Like he held that there and he looked over at me and he took his middle finger and he, and his, and his mouth and he opened it up and he like started pretending like he was fucking my totem with his middle finger and like sticking his tongue out and like ramming it in from his middle finger to his mouth and looking oh, at me. Wait, so it was the husband that was cradling it. I thought this. Yeah. No, no, no. The husband that's okay. been obsessing about me for this whole time, obsessing over if I could possibly be into penises is now holding my like dildo like a baby. And then he starts finger like literally. And excuse this. This is so it's so gross, but he's like finger fucking it with like sticking his tongue out and just making this horrible, grotesque face. And I just have my hand on my mouth, just like eyes wide open, like, whoa, you're, you're literally doing that in front of everyone. Not just me. Like you're doing that in front of everyone. And the cop looks mortified and he grabs it from him and cradles it in his arms. And he's like, uh, I'm so sorry. He's like shaking his head and he's just mortified looking. And he just takes it over to me and he like holds, he like hands it to me and I, I grab it and he's like, I'm <laughs> he was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I know, I'm sorry too. Like, I was just almost sorry for everyone that he did that. <laughs> and then I like looked over at, at my friend and their family, and I was like, Yeah, he just did that. Bye. Like, <laughs> I kind of waved, like, it, like to me, it was just this moment of like, do you, are you still justifying this man's behavior <laughs> to me as, as he like, so obviously, and, and granted, this was not the first, like, in my opinion, he had been showing his true colors throughout the whole month. Like it was very obvious what, in my opinion, what he was doing, what kind of power dynamics, what kind of narcissism, you know, um, just complete uh, male domination. Yeah, it, it was the, the, the games were so intense and also so obvious. They were not covert in any way. And, and so the fact that he did that, I was just like, and still all these women are standing by him, you know, justifying that he treats a woman like this. And anyway, so I, I wave and I get in the, the cop car and they escort me home. <laughs> and they're like, I was like, thank you so much for being so sweet to me. That was a really vulnerable experience. And I really, really am glad that you guys were nice to me about it. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. We don't want you to feel weird or bad at all. Like this happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, this kind of stuff happens all the time. I'm like, yeah, I kind of don't think it does. And he's like, maybe, maybe not exactly, but you know, you know, weird things. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm. thank you for making me feel better again. I really appreciate it. Um, so, uh, then I, then I went home and, and I, yeah, uh, laughed and cried and had 
lots of, of help with my spirit guides coming to me and had actually profound help from Jesus and Mary Magdalene. It was really shocking. Um, for a whole, like two weeks, they were coming to me doing work on me and I, I had not understood the level of, um, yeah, toxicity or potency of, of sexual shaming. And even though I'm so in love with my sexuality, it was still such a journey to be able to, um, experience that level of violence and that level of, um, yeah, somebody being willing to kill you kind of thing. Um, that in itself is just like a, a potent and shocking and, uh, reality reality drop, um, to experience. And then I bathed my totem underneath the full moon while it was being rained on, uh, with like crystals all around <laughs> to try to bathe it of this energy. Cause I'm like, wow, this is something so sacred to me. And I would never have even wanted anyone to see it that would have ever had any eyes of judgment or anything. Cause it was just like literally a part of me and a part of my sexuality that's so like precious and sacred and vulnerable and, and, uh, all the things. And so, and just to have that level of like throwing in the trash cops, like just, yeah, all, all of it was just, wow, this was, this was a, um, a, a definitely a, an intense baptism for this, for this, this dildo and this lesbian to experience. Um, so yeah, bathed it in the water. I actually woke up in the middle of the night though, like scared that it was flooding and that it was going to take my totem away. So I have like separation trauma. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when I sleep at night, I actually like hold it. And then like, I ever like leave it somewhere. I'm always like, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> But I like ran out in the night when it was like raining and it was like, there's like a little flood happening. And I like ran out to like, make sure it wasn't getting like washed away in this like jungle river of a flood, you know? <laughs> so, um, anyways, All right, that's, okay. that's most of my story. <laughs> um, powerful. So when you were telling the part about that moment, like it almost sounds like a religious moment, like where, um, you saw everyone's energy like you saw the part of you or the part of your friend that she was trying to kill in you and the energy you know some kind of shame or something like we've talked about this with Scorpio archetype how desire is easily connected with shame like if you desire someone like there can be shame around that if they don't desire you back or you know and then your own kind of like you will not like you know, destroy me. I'll come back. Like I was just getting straight chills when you were telling that part of the story. So I think there's something to be said about these like potent experiences that bring us like into complete sharp presence. Um, and you told me this story, I think like on a full moon, I'm pretty sure it was Mm. in for a season. It was. Yeah. And so when you told me this story at first, like one of my first responses to you was like, why have you been smiling as you tell this story? Like, are you, are you upset about this? Like, did you enjoy it? Like, why are you smiling? (laughs) And I don't think that sounds like the most supportive thing, but I was just like, I know I was so sad. I was like, oh no, what's wrong with me? (laughs) 
I just wanted to know. I was like, why, you know, but then you were like, you leveled with me and you were like, I, um, have felt a lot of trauma about it and like deep sadness, but it's also like comedic. I was like, I mean, it is like, you know, the whole way through it is comedic and it's terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. Then we went on during this call to kind of like analyze the astrology of it and connect it to your chart and connect it to the archetypes. And it was one of the most magical conversations ever. Like Mm. there were many times I was seeing lights and like felt like it was like this alchemical transmission because it is a really powerful Mm. story. But I think also the ways that we read into it and like the unfolded layers out of it were also powerful. Um, so I'll turn it back to you though, of like, what was the, like, how have you made meaning of it since? Stay tuned for part two, where we will discuss this story. One of the reasons that I felt inspired to have this conversation, I mean, it, it pretty spontaneously arrived. Like, I'm not even sure whose idea it was that we record a podcast about this story, Um, but it came through while we were talking. um, And we talk a lot on video chat um, as a way of staying in touch because we don't live in the same place. Um, I think it's important to note how some of the really awakening or spiritual experiences that we have in life are not calm. That it's not about meditating and reaching a state of enlightenment. Like that is part of spiritual life. And there is something to be said about balance. But I think, you know, as we were recording this under Mars retrograde and Mars being such a heightened influence in the sky and, you know, being able to look at a red Mars in the night sky every night, there is something potential in those conflict moments in life where we can feel our soul speaking through our circumstances And I found that really beautiful and really enriching to tune into this season, this Mars retrograde. And sometimes I have clients who come to me and they come into the session with a story, something very intense that has happened in their life and they want some context. In fact, I mean, that's how I found evolutionary astrology. I was in the most challenging situation I'd ever experienced in my life. My situation felt cinematic and epic and tragic, you know, to me at the time. And I didn't know if I would be okay, you know, but my life had a a big kind of dramatic story at the time that I found astrology. Well, not astrology, but evolutionary astrology specifically. If we were doing dream analysis and we were looking at the story of a dream and we would think of the meaning it has and all of that, well, what about our life when our life takes on more of a kind of cinematic or intense quality? I feel like those are moments 
where the waking dream is particularly loud and symbolic or particularly stirring. Like just like in a dream, interpretation is just that interpretation. Our life events, our life stories can can work us or have a way of awakening us or have a way of awakening us to specific material or to specific questions or specific desires or specific changes. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is that I don't see spirituality as just living a perfectly regulated life where you, you're always in some kind of balanced, harmonic, chill space. As much as it might be part of one's spiritual path to cultivate that level of regulation and have access to it. But I think that there is an embodiment that comes through participating with the drama of life or being sensitive and curious about the dramas that present themselves in our lives and our question of how we're going to participate with them. And this is part of why I love astrology as a spiritual path. You know, astrology isn't my only part of my spirituality, but it is a huge part of it. It's this witnessing of the events of life, the timing, the cosmic backdrop, also people's natal charts, my own natal chart and how they play out. Anyway, do check back for on the podcast for part two of this episode, where we'll dive into some discussion about this event, um, how we connected it astrologically, what are some of its deeper meanings, and so on. See you next time.